0: Hi, everyone. My name is Patrick Miller. Uh, I have actually been on staff at The Crossing for about eight years now. I run our 20s ministry. Uh, But before this last year, I actually used to work with Veritas. I worked with Veritas for about seven years, so it's exciting. It's exciting to be back. Oh, that's a bummer. He knocked it over. Um, No, I, I love Veritas. I love college ministry. Uh, because uh, I became a Christian when I was in college. I actually became a Christian in large part through this ministry. And in all the years that I did college ministry, I, I, I loved seeing the amazing things that God could do uh, during these years in, in your guys' life, during the college years. Uh, my junior year of college, actually... I got my first car. So that's later, I suppose, than a lot of people. But I got my first car my junior year, uh, and it was a hand-me-down from my dad. Free car, so I I wasn't complaining about it. The only catch was this. He told me that I had to share it with my little sister, who was a freshman here at Mizzou, at the same time. And, you know, again, free car, I was totally cool with it, happy about that, that's fine. Uh, But there was one tricky question. Who was going to pay for the gas? Who was going to pay for the gas? And so in the name of brotherly and sisterly love, we made an agreement. It was very simple. The rule was this. When the car hit E, when it hit E, it was your responsibility if you were driving it to take it to the gas station and fill it up and leave it full for the next person. And so when we first started driving together, we were both really good about that. We'd always fill it up right when it hit E. But you can imagine what happened over time. Uh, We began to uh, see how far we could go on Eid, to kind of stretch the limits of what empty was. And over time, even though we never really talked about it, the goal began to see how far can I go (laughs) uh, and and not run out of gas and leave it for the other person (laughs) so that they would have to pay the bill. And that's a great game, except for this. My sister was way better at it than I was And that became apparent to me one day I'm driving down Providence, I'm going past the stadium, and all of a sudden my power steering stops working, uh, my power brakes stop working, and then finally the engine goes dead. And I think in my head, good one, Hermana, but I'll get you next time. The only problem was there was no next time for her. She got me again, Uh, except this time was a lot less funny Uh, Because I was driving on Rock Quarry. That's the road that goes down past Cape and Park. And it was the middle of the night. And if you don't know Rock Quarry, it's this twisting, winding road. And it's got low visibility. And there's like steep drop-offs on on both ends. It's just two lanes, no shoulder. I stop in the middle of the night on Rock Quarry. All right. I I made it out alive. But needless to say, uh, I stopped playing the how far can I go game with my uh, car from that point forward anytime the e-light was on i went straight (laughs) to the gas station because i had no idea what my sister was going to leave me with she was better at it here's here's the thing that story seeing how far we could go on e it reminds me of a common question that i was asked during my years doing college ministry a question i was asked all the time people would ask me patrick how far can i go How far can I go? And when you hear that question, your mind might jump immediately, you know, to sexual relationships, right? Like, how far can my girlfriend or my boyfriend and I go without it being a sin? Or maybe you hop to drinking, you know, how buzzed can I be before I'm really drunk? Or or maybe, for a lot of us, it goes to the question of salvation, you know. How far can I go before I lose my salvation, before I'm not a Christian, before God turns his back? On me. Now, now, those are kind of the obvious questions. If I had to guess, there's a lot of us in here who have asked those questions recently. But I don't care who you are, all of us on some level find ourselves asking, How far can I go? I mean, I was probably asking it yesterday. You know, it's, we ask just, How much of the truth can I bend before it's a lie? How much can I talk about that person before it's really gossip? How much can I fantasize about him, fantasize about her before it's really lust? How much can I dislike that person before it's really hatred? How angry can I get before it's really unforgiveness? How far can I pursue this ambiguous relationship with a non Christian before it's really a bad problem? How long can I live a prayerless, a Bibleless life? I think most of us at some point, probably right now, in some way have asked the question, how far can I go? How much can I test the limits? What about you? Do you know the area in your life, does something come to mind as I ask that question? Or maybe you see yourself testing God's limits, asking the question, okay, but how far can I go? Uh, here at Veritas you guys have been going through the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel and it's this big sprawling story with three main characters Samuel Saul and David and tonight we are going to look at the final pages of Saul of King Saul's life and reign and up until now King Saul he has been a guy who is always testing God's limits he's a guy who's always asking in his heart how far can I go God is this too far And by the time we meet him here at the final days of his life, this much is absolutely clear. Saul has already gone too far. He's already tested the limits to the point of breaking. And in this story, we're going to read what has to be, frankly, one of the strangest stories in the Old Testament. It's incredibly bizarre, but it reveals three realities Three realities about what happens when we, in our lives, test the limits. When we find ourselves asking the question, how far can I go? So I want to hop straight into the story because, again, it's, it's super weird but also kind of entertaining. Uh, but before we do, uh, I want to pray really quick. So would you bow your heads? Uh, Heavenly Father, would the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be honoring to you? Would you give each of us ears to hear the good news of your kingdom? Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to hop right into 1 Samuel 28, the last pages of Saul's life. Just listen along with me. Now, Samuel was dead, and all Israel mourned for him and buried him in his hometown of Ramah. Okay, so pause here. Samuel, he is the prophet who anointed Saul as king. But later on, Samuel is the same guy through whom God speaks, he's God's spokesman, and through whom God tells Saul, I'm rejecting you because you've gone too far, because you've tested the limits to the point of breaking. Let's keep going. Now, Saul had expelled the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Okay, pause again. What's a medium? What's a spiritist? Uh, these are people who use dark, demonic, spiritual powers in order to uh, predict or see into the future. And God strictly forbids their use in Israel because uh, they could lead to, to huge, enormous societal destruction. Let's keep going. The Philistines, you know, these are Israel's enemy... They assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all of Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. So you've got two lines one's in Shunem, one's in Gilboa. They're looking at each other. And when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. So he inquired of the Lord. But the Lord did not answer him by dreams or by urim or by prophets. So he asks God what to do, but God doesn't answer. And it's interesting reading this because immediately I think we're kind of tempted to feel sorry for Saul, right? Like, what's the deal, God? Why aren't you responding? But in the context of the bigger story, I think that's actually really missing the point. Because we have to remember this. For years, for decades, God had offered guidance to Saul. And at every turn, Saul goes the opposite direction, So let me try and make what's happening here a little bit more concrete in our own lives. How many times do you think a guy can cheat on his girlfriend before she stops picking up the phone? Before she finally realizes, you're just testing my limits because you want the safety of this relationship, but you also want to be able to go off land or do whatever you want to do. How many times do you think he has to cheat on her? Once? Twice? Three times? Five? Ten? God is far more patient than any of us would be. He gives Saul decades, and Saul keeps testing, how far can I go? He keeps dishonoring God, he keeps disobeying, he keeps cheating on God. He even goes so far as to murder God's priests, the people through whom God said he would speak. So now, God isn't picking up the phone. And it's not because God's petty, it's because God knows the truth about Saul, Saul doesn't love God. Saul doesn't want to walk with God. He just wants safety. In this situation, he, he just wants to live, right? He wants to use God. So God asks us, who do we feel sorry for in this story? God or the cheater, the user? Story keeps going. So God doesn't answer. What's Saul going to do next? Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go inquire of her. There is one in endure, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. So, you know, he takes off his kingly outfit. He just puts on a normal person's uh, outfit. You know, this is before Facebook. Not everybody knew what Saul looked like. you would recognize him by his clothing. So he's just walking around like a normal dude. Okay, so he puts on other clothes. And at night, he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one whom I name. But the woman said to me, surely you know what Saul has done. Now, she has not recognized him. That's not what's happening here. He has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Because this is like a classic, how do I know you're not the police moment? Okay, that's what's happening. She's saying, how do I know you're not going to get me in trouble? To which Saul responds, uh, Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. I'm not one of those guys. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me, bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me? Now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy, the Lord has done what he predicted through me to you. So again, a decade before this, what happens? Samuel comes to Saul and he tells Saul, you've gone too far, you've tested too much, you've asked how far you can go, you've done it. You've gone too far, God is turning against you. So Samuel continues. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord, and he's going to give an example, or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Where is Samuel, he's where dead people are. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day and all that night. This is a weird story, right? (laughs) So, let's unpack it. Saul, at this point, he is a man who has already gone too far. He's already tested God's limits, and in this story, we see the results of going too far, the results of testing God's limits. And again, that means that this story is a tragic well of wisdom for us, teaching us three realities about testing God, about asking, how far can I go? And the first reality that this story unveils for us is that we will never know when we've gone too far. We will never know when we've gone too far. Saul, he should have known at this point that he'd gone too far, right? Because God's spokesman, Samuel, had told him this face-to-face. Did you notice what Samuel's ghost says to him? He says, look, God told you a decade ago that you'd already gone too far. But obviously, Saul's deaf to God's warnings. Because for the last decade, he's just kind of gone about saying that, playing the same old cheating game, right? Test God. See how far you can go. Because God will always take me back, right? My job to sin. God's job to forgive. And of course, I think that's what we learn in our own lives. We will, more likely than not, never realize it when we've gone too far. We'll just keep playing our games with God because he'll always take me back, right? But when we do this, we become deaf to God's spokesman in our lives, the Bible. We become deaf to the Bible's warnings that we are going too far. We're about to go too far. For example, in Ephesians 5, this is one of many warning passages in the New Testament. We read this. But among you, there must not be any hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't get tricked on this one, okay? For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Here's Paul's point. Here's the point of the story. If we've made a practice of living this way, that's a sign we may have already gone too far. How do we know, though? How do we know if I've gone too far? And I think Saul gives us the answer. It's really simple. The question is this. When you hear warnings like this, if, if you've made a practice of living in this way, are you deaf to the warning? Because if we're living this way, and we can hear this, and we feel no sense of guilt, no sense of fear, it's a good sign that we've already gone too far. That we're deaf to God's warnings, just like Saul was. But let me say this too. If you hear these words, and you do feel that twinge of guilt, that fear then there is hope. There's hope. You can apologize to God. You can stop testing. You can commit your entire life to him. The second reality we learn from this story is that people who ask, when we ask how far can I go and and test God's limits, we become self-deluded. We become self-deluded. So again, to see this, we have to kind of catch the irony in the story. So when Saul realizes uh, the Philistine threat... The first thing he does is he goes to God, right? And that seems like a really commendable thing to do. And it tells us that at some level, Saul genuinely thinks uh, that he would actually obey God if God spoke to him. But we, the readers, are supposed to ask the question, but would he really? If God had spoke to him, would he have really... Well, past experience would tell us no, but what Saul does next makes it totally clear. You see, when God didn't respond to Saul, what he should have done was consulted God's word and, and then acted, tried to act in faith. But instead, what he does is he disobeys God's word, and he does something which God explicitly forbids, using demonic powers to call up dead spirits. Now, I realize reading that story, we may have lots of questions about how that's even possible Uh, I do. (laughs) If so, uh, ask me later, and I'll I'll try to give you my best thought. But don't miss the main point. Saul is showing disregard for God in his actions, and it makes it clear that his words about obeying God, they're just a mask. They're just a charade. Saul is making make-believe in this story, right? And the only person that his costume tricks is himself. That's the only person he gets tricked, We, the readers, we can see the real reason that he tries to go to God, not because he loves him, but because he doesn't want to die, because he wants security from the Philistines. And here's the point for us when we ask, How far can I go before I miss out on heaven, or to be more precise, before I miss out on God's new creation, the only person I'm tricking when I ask how far is myself. It's just like Solomon, we're asking that question. We don't really want God. What we really want is just security from hell. And I hope we get the irony here, right? You see, new creation is going to be a place where God reigns, where his will is perfectly followed. And if we are constantly asking, how far can I go? If we are constantly testing God's limits, then I'm telling you this. The last thing that you want, the last thing that I want is to live under God's reign, to live in a world where everybody does God's will. Let me put this a little bit more crassly and tersely. If we love disobeying God, we are going to love hell. And if we demand to live out hell in this life, God's not going to keep us from our demands in the next life. Even if hell is a world of lust, and impurity, and gossip, and slander, and mockery, and selfishness, and rage, and vanity. This story is dark, but it's inviting us to be honest with ourselves. To take off the mask, take off the charade, stop doing the make-believe. You're only tricking yourself, I'm only tricking myself. Look at our lives. Look at our actions and ask, which world do we really want? New creation, or hell? we want a world where God reigns or a world where God is totally absent? Which world do we see growing in our lives right now? Which world do you want to see growing in your life? Just so you know, I'm not talking about being a perfect person. I'm not a perfect person. No one in this room is a perfect person. No one's even getting close to that, okay? I'm talking about asking yourself if you're the kind of person Who, when you do fall short, wants to apologize to God. Wants to ask God for forgiveness when you sin. Whether you're the kind of person who is committing your life to King Jesus. And even though you're weak, even though I'm weak and we're feeble, are we seeking to build God's new creation in our lives? A world of love, of justice, of forgiveness, and mercy in our lives today. The story's inviting is saying, take off the mask. Give yourself an honest look in the mirror which world do you really want which world do your affections and your actions point towards new creation or hell god will honor our choice in the end so in these final pages of saul's life it shows that when we test god's limits first we very rarely know that we've gone too far even when we have And second, if we test God's limits, if we ask, how far can I go, we often become self-deluded. We start playing make-believe, and the only person we trick is ourselves. The third reality we learn from this story is that testing God not only hurts you, it hurts everyone around you. It can even destroy the lives of others. Because all of us, whether or not we feel it or realize it, are deeply interconnected in this world. So the very last page of Saul's life, it's 2 Samuel 31, and he leads Israel's army into a devastating defeat. Uh, The Philistines uh, destroy them. Saul ends up dying a tragic and gruesome death. But when people read this chapter, myself included, we really easily miss and breeze past one critical paragraph, which shows how Saul's testing, how Saul's trying to go too far, destroyed the lives of thousands of innocent people. So let's read uh, 1 Samuel 31, verses 7 to 8. When the Israelites along the valley, so this is the valley where the battle happens, and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, what did they do? They abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. So It's easy to breeze past. Let's just slow down here for a second and think about that. Because of Saul's sin, Saul's testing, Saul's failures, the people who he was supposed to protect are harmed. They're harmed. You see, they get two options once Saul dies. Option A is you stay in your town, the Philistines show up, they murder and slaughter most of the men, they'll probably sexually assault most of the women, and if you're left alive at the end of it, you're going to become a slave. That's option A. Option B is you get up in the middle of the night and you run away. You flee as fast as you possibly can. You leave behind your house, which in those days there's no bank. That's all you own. That is your property. That is your wealth. You leave behind uh, your, your farm, your only source of food and welfare. You leave behind your family networks. You leave behind everything to go become a peasant refugee. And you'll probably never be able to get back to whatever you had. In that world. Option A. Option B. And tragically. There's no other choice. They say okay. I'd rather have my life. So they flee. They run away. Because of Saul. People lost everything. Again. I, I did college ministry for years. And one common refrain. That, that I heard. When someone was kind of defending their sin to me. Uh, it, their way of you know going too far. Testing God. Is they tell me this. They'd always say. But I'm not hurting anyone else. I'm just getting drunk, but I'm not doing anything bad. Like I'm not hurting anyone else. It's just a little sex. It's just joking. I I never would say anything like that to, to her face. I'm not hurting anyone else, okay? Now, Saul probably thought that he wasn't hurting anyone else with the ways that he was testing God, with the ways that he was pressing the limits. In fact, on several occasions, Saul actually does the thing that the people want rather than the thing that God wants. And so it's pretty easy to imagine Saul saying to God, what's the big deal? I'm not hurting anyone. But time always tells. Yeah, maybe in the moment it doesn't look like it, but time always tells. You know, for me, the lie that my sin doesn't hurt anyone, it's very personal. I mentioned earlier that I became a Christian in college. Um, And and by the beginning of my junior year, I was really lucky. I was a part of a really solid uh, Christian community. My my friends and people around me, they loved Jesus. They were following him. And and I had one really good friend, a guy I I loved, I liked a lot. Um, He took his faith seriously. Um, But he started slowly over time just kind of towing the line, you know, testing God, kind of seeing, like, "How, how, how far can I go? And little by little, it was really slow. He just kind of crossed a step further and a step further. And I remember him telling me, like, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not hurting anyone. But Remember, time always tells. And as he kind of started testing further and further, a few other people started following suit, right? First they're towing the line, and they're just kind of seeing, you know, how far can I go? And when more people started doing it, it just became a little bit normal. It was just normalized in the community. And so even more people followed along. And by the time I graduated, uh, many of my closest friends were no longer following Jesus. It was like a complete turnaround. And since college, I've watched a lot of those friends, not all of them, but I've watched a lot of those friends end up wrecking their lives. I've seen people start marriages and then end them in divorce. Seen friends go in and out of rehab. And it's terrible. It's a tragedy. I'm being dead serious when I say there have been times when looking at this, it's kept me up at night. So I think, what, what could I have done? How could I have helped my friends? I actually don't even have an answer for that question. Here's the one thing that I know for certain. It started with one person asking, how far can I go? And then defending it and justifying it with this little phrase, I'm just not hurting anyone. not hurting anyone. Saul costs thousands of people their lives, their welfare. When we test God, when we say, how far can I go, we hurt our community. If you don't believe me, I'm just going to tell you. Time will tell. I realize this has been a really dark sermon, um, which is actually not my favorite kind to give. Uh, If you don't believe me, you can ask other people who heard me preach and teach at Veritas in the past. This is not my norm, but you preach what you get. And... (laughs) Thanks, Kyle. And uh, But let me say this. Sometimes the light is most brilliant when you're in the midst of the darkness. And so can we just end with a little bit of light and a little bit of hope tonight? See, First and Second Samuel, that story is not over yet. There is another king coming along, David, and here's the deal. He's going to rescue those people from the Philistines. He's going to restore to them everything that they lost because of Saul's failures. And I think that points us to our hope. We also have a king, Jesus, who died to pay and and to forgive all of the ways that we test God, all of the ways that we go too far. And he rose from the dead to restore everything that we've lost in our own lives and everything that we've cost those around us. See, the Bible's message is clear. Evil is strong, but grace is stronger Destruction is powerful, but new creation is indomitable. He can bring, Jesus can bring God's future new creation right here into our presence. Right now, he can make us into a, individually and communally a loving, humble, self-sacrificing, joyful, pure, kind, generous, and honest community. <laughs> Why are we asking God, how far can I go? How far can I run away from this kingdom, from that king? We were made for that kingdom. We were made for that king. We will never be more human, more alive, more awake than when we serve him. We can have no greater purpose than bringing about his new creation in our lives. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' message was summarized like this. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's scarily close. It's right around the corner. And here's what that means. Today is not a day to test. It's a day to turn, to apologize, and to believe this good news that Jesus Christ is our king, that he is reigning, and that he is offering forgiveness for every sin, for every test, and that he has the power to restore our lives and whatever we lose. He's inviting us to join him on this worldwide mission. Let's pray. (sighs) Heavenly Father, it's difficult any time we're faced with our sin, when we're faced with the ways that we test you and fall short, and yet we genuinely believe that your grace is stronger, that your power to bring about restoration and healing in our lives, in our community, even when we fail, is far more powerful Jesus, you are the king. You are the one who died to make us clean, white as snow. It's your name that we pray. Amen.